four years ago when it came to, uh, there was a Bible college API down in St. Paul. And one of the things that F.G. Norton teaches people is don't ever put anything on top of the Bible. Don't put another book on there. Don't put another thing on there. And um, I just took that. And again, I, you're, not, you're not sinning if you put something on the Bible. But it was just an honor. It gives a reverence to the word of God. And that's why we stand. Again, it's, it's nothing negative to be sad. It's just giving honor to what God gave to us. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 and 43. And I'll be reading from the King James Version. It says, and one of the male factors, some translations say robbers, which were hanged, railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, Everybody say revelation. This man got revelation while he was on the cross of who Jesus was. And that's what changed the circumstance for him. We'll get there a little bit later. But he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be in paradise. One more time, if we can just close our eyes and lift our voices to heaven and just ask God, to bless the remainder of this service. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for Easter Sunday. And what a beautiful day it is up here in northern Minnesota. And we thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for the blue skies with some clouds. But God, we thank you more than anything else that that stone was rolled away. And you rose again on that third day. On that Sunday morning, you came rising again and death could not hold you. And we thank you for that. And we ask you just to bless the remainder of this message. Anoint these lips to clay to speak. And anoint our hearts and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I promise to preach with me. Be seated. God bless you. I want to bring in a new life. Welcome to all our first-time guests. Thank you so much for being here this morning. There's many, many Easter services going on. And so we know you could be anywhere. And we thank you that you chose to be here with us. We are going through a series on Wednesday nights, our group that we have, called Breaking Out of the Debt Trap. And as we have learned, and some of you may know, debt is not a positive word that we all rejoice over. Nobody runs around telling people how much debt they hold. They don't run around saying, I, I owe this much to so-and-so. It's not something we brag about. It's not something that we glorify about. Matter of fact, debt can ruin lives. Debt can harm families. Debt can destroy marriages, and debt can cause depression. But I'm only talking about the money debt. But what about the debt of sin? What about the debt of hurt that caused others to other, or caused to other people? What about the debt of an apology? What about the debt of guilt? These are things that can destroy us as well. Amen. And what does all these debts have in common? They destroy the heart. There's a book called The Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. The author lists four enemies, guilt, 
of the four enemies of the heart, guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy, and all four hurt our hearts, and all four affect relationships in a massive way. I'm going to take the next two Sundays to really drive home these concepts, but in the way that the Lord has dealt with me to drive them home. So again, that book, I would highly recommend it. I'm just, I'm not even going, I'm just using his terminology he uses, but I'm letting the Lord kind of lead how this service, these sermons will go the next two weeks. So the title of my series, if you can't, if you haven't got the handout, it says the keys to a healthy heart. Today, I want to touch on the effects of guilt and anger and how to counterattack each one of them. Guilt in and of itself is something that says, I owe you. Guilt is a part of debt where we feel bad about something we've done. Unfortunately, if you go to the jails, then you'll find out most of the people there say they were wrongly convicted. They did not commit the crime. But there's many also that know they made a mistake and they know they did wrong and they have guilt on their lives forever. There is people that family members when they get a divorce and there's parents that feel guilty for what happened to the children. There's people that feel guilty for maybe something they did to somebody else or hurt somebody else they didn't mean to. Ever been in a fight and you said some words that you regretted later on. That's guilt. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people have unexplained outbursts because they're still dealing with this thing in their heart called guilt. It destroys our heart. It hurts our heart. It wrecks our heart. It messes up our heart. And it does not do any good to our heart. And to understand that guilt damages our heart. I don't know about you, but they've done studies that said most people, when you have guilt on your life, you really feel the tension in your stomach. You feel this tension that's pulled, the stress that develops. There's a feeling to it. It's, it's insane. And it, it literally does deal with the heart because your blood starts pumping differently and the muscles start moving in different patterns, fashions. Now, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to go into the depths of that. But I think every one of us can attest that you have felt that in your chest. What about anger? Anger. See, guilt says I owe you, but anger says you owe me. You owe me an apology. You owe me redemption. You owe me that money. You owe me that debt that you have on your life. You owe me what I gave to you. A principle my wife and I learned a long time ago um, that whenever someone asks for money, I borrow, I give it to them. I don't borrow it. If they want to pay back, they can pay back, but I'm not holding that on. If I have the money to give it, I give it. Because I don't want something later on holding between me and this relationship. Then now I walk around and that person feels guilty because they can't pay me back. Listen, you can't pay me back. It's all right. But, but Pastor Billy got a big bank account. You know, the Holy Spirit really coming at me. I, I want to help, but we can only do so much. But the point that I'm making here is anger says you owe me. You ask any divorce, any relationship that's been totally divided. One party says you owe me. What you did that night with that person, you owe me an apology. You owe me all those years that I gave to you. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. That's what anger says. 
because we have an unhealthy heart and our enemies, the end, these two enemies of our heart are attacking each and every day. And we have a rescue. So how do we overcome guilt? Well, you overcome guilt. your own life drinker look what you're doing and that's when I realized God I forgive me of my sin I have guilt so I confess and then I had anger towards what took place and he said now you've got to change that's how you overcome that's how we get through these situations now I could just end here and we can go home and enjoy eating for dinner but all I gave you is a viewpoint of man and not how the scriptures support this principle. You must understand, we, we go out to this world and we get all these resources for humanity as we want. And they are good and great, but they only scratch the surface. What we need and many are missing is the most life-changing words in our world today. And those are the very words that are found in the Bible itself. These words are life-changing. They are cutting edge. This book is still relevant I can read a scripture that was written over 2,000 years ago, and it can still change my life today. It can still speak to my life today because this word is ever, it changes our lives. It's what we've got to hold to. It's what we've got to hold on to in our lives and our hearts. Lord God, 
They are not just words on a page. No, my friend, they are more than that. These precious words are the very words of the almighty God himself. It's God talking to humanity. And the Bible says his word will accomplish what he declares and it will not return void. It has a life-changing power and many times the words of humanity are founded on the words of the Bible. I used to know this guy or I was in college. I still have a book in there. It's a pretty good motivational book. It's called Get Off Your Butt and Work. And he uses Proverbs, a lot of Proverbs in his. He believes in God, but he, he uses some concepts he has, but he uses the book of Proverbs to back a lot of his stuff up. Because there's things in this world that people do you have no idea is successful because it's actually founded in the Word of God. Some know that and testify to that, but others don't even realize. God's word changes lives, and you and I can testify to that. Let's look at the account of that fateful Friday over 2,000 years ago and see if we can see this fleshed out in the story. See, over 2,000 years ago, this thing started on a Thursday night. Him, and 
something about the connection one feels when someone goes through the same thing they went through but shows a better response. If you were ever in the military, you'll know that someone that you were, when I was in, those were my guys, those were my buddies. We had a different relationship than anybody else because we went through some things together that no one else went through. Your best friend in your life, your spouse, 
something strong together and it helps us. And so in the same sense, this robber is sitting here suffering with Jesus. He's in the same amount of pain if that Jesus, matter of fact, is worse. And his, as he is angry regarding his crime and then punishing him, he definitely has no remorse in his heart, let alone pray for their forgiveness or even his own. This thief wasn't going to pray for others to be forgiven. He didn't even think about that. He was mad and angry at everybody, including Jesus. But yet he watches this guy next to him, who people call the Christ. People all picking on him and yelling at him and spitting on him and, and brutalating him. And then all of a sudden, he looks down and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. How did you do that? How would you, how would you ask, how would you do that? Or why would anybody do that? He's being yelled at and mocked and everyone, including himself, but all of that. And while enduring this awful pain, he has the gall to ask for their forgiveness. Wow, instead of having anger, he shows forgiveness. Unless you could stand here and tell me you have been wrong, wrongfully crucified and betrayed by one of your closest friends. And, there are one of the, and they are one of the reasons you're on the very cross that you're on that you do not deserve. Then please don't say it's not possible to forgive whoever has hurt you. Jesus stood up there by his own friend that first of all... Um, Betrayed him. Betrayed him. And he's being ridiculed and wrongly accused and he's sitting on that cross. I think if Jesus could do it, I'm pretty sure all of us could ask we could forgive people for what they've done. The key is to have a healthy heart is forgiving those who have wronged you. It's not about digging up the things they did to you 20 years ago or 20 hours ago. Instead, it's about choosing to do what Jesus did, and that's forgive even when they didn't deserve it. But i got to tell them, you don't got to tell them anything. You can just say, God, I forgive them. God, touch their lives. God, encourage them. If they're doing wrong and bad, God, change them, convict them, help them get right. Because if I can't change them, the only one that can is you. Sometimes we put in our own hands that we have to change somebody. I'm sorry to break it to you. I've had to learn the very same thing. We can't change people like that. We can live a life that changes people, but we can't change them. But preacher, Jesus knew the end result, so it was easier for him. And my response is no, it still wasn't easy. He may have known what was going to happen the next 72 hours, but he still had to endure the pain like you and me. And a matter of fact, we know what will happen at the end ourselves because we know what happens at the end of this book. We know who wins. We know who's triumphed. So we know the end as well. How in the world can we not keep going on? How do we, we know this world is not the end, folks? I'm going to forgive and forgive and forgive. And I'll confess when I'm wrong because of the end result. I'm going there. I don't want to go down there. And if you want to go to hell, you can tell hell right now when you get there. Jamie ain't coming. He's staying and he's going to heaven. That's the word of I want hell. That's what gets me to heaven. That's where I want to go. I know what the end does. Jesus is conqueror. He is victor. And devil does not have its hold on me any longer. 
If that person, we know the end of the story, and no, we don't know if, if, if we forgive if that person will hurt us again. But listen, Jesus washed Judas's feet knowing that he was going to betray him. You read your Bible. It said that he washed. He already knew that Judas had committed sin. He already knew that Judas had, had betrayed him. He knew what was in his heart, yet he still got down on his knees. And he took Judas's feet and he washed him also. Knowing what was going to happen. It didn't change him. It didn't change how Jesus treated him. We are always so worried about being walked on. But I don't know a lot of people being thrown on crosses like Jesus. Jesus' focus during the entire ordeal was always on others. In verse 28, that same chapter in Luke, he is telling the women, they were actually lamenting, they were crying and weeping. And he turned to them in all his pain and he said, stop and weep for yourself. Weep for your children. Don't weep for me. Don't worry about me. You just worry about your family. You just worry about those who need Jesus. Don't worry about me. Just worry about everyone else that needs help as well. Even in every situation, Jesus would always turn to others. Or you find in John 19, in verses 26 through 27, I'll give a minute to get ready. John 19, verses 26 and 27. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, again, he's on the cross, he's hurting, he's in pain, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, which is John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home and took care of her can't get into it too much, but Joseph had already passed away, and a custom back then is the parent, the family, especially the oldest son, all the siblings were kids would take care of mom and dad when it got to a certain age, especially mom if mom and dad had passed away. So Jesus knew he was dying. He said, Jesus, stop thinking about me. Stop and think about the pain he's going through. And he stopped and remembered. I want my mom to be still taken care of. I still want her help. Still want her taken care of. So, John, you're going to do what I was doing, and you're going to take care of your mom if she needs you again. Jesus could think about himself, his heart, but he was thinking about others in all his pain because he had a healthy heart. I know he was a man or God. I know he's fully man and fully God. I understand that. But he was tempted in all points like we, but he knew no sin. He was tempted with infirmity, but he knew no sin because Jesus knew how to overcome. He forgave and he confessed, which he had nothing to confess about. But he would forgive and he would forgive and he would forgive. That's how he kept his heart healthy. I'll give you a sneak peek. Greed, you overcome greed by giving. You better come back next week. And you overcome jealousy by praying for others and being rejoicing in their triumphs. Jesus did that stuff. That's how he had a healthy heart. That's how he had a good, good I don't know what the thief saw, but it was enough to change his heart and realize Jesus didn't know him anything. As a matter of fact, that thief on the cross realized, I owe Jesus something. And as he realized his guilt, he confessed it. He looked at that other robber and he said, this man's done nothing. We have done wrong. We have gone wrong. We are the wrong ones and being rightfully accused. 
He admitted his sin, and then he looked at Jesus, and he acknowledged, you are more than a man. You have a kingdom. You are a woman. We see a similar story in Zacchaeus. Luke 19, and verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see, now understand one thing, tax collectors, they would... So basically the Romans required taxation, but they, they would send the Jews, they would have Jewish hired people that would take the tax, just like an accountant does, a tax accountant. So the IRS tells the tax accountant this is the, this is the um, percentage of tax, and then for that tax accountant to do your taxes, he needs to get paid. So he charges you a fee. But back then, they really robbed people. So if you were being charged 40%, this dude charged you like 40% too. Because Rome said, I don't care how much you tax or how much you charge as long as we get our tax. I don't care what you do. So these tax collectors were not very looked at high, very much like <coughs> the IRS today. And verse 3, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. He had a verticality. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when he saw it, they all complained, saying, Who? He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone else by false accusation, I will restore four." He had guilt on his heart. And he said, Jesus, this is how I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to give back fourfold to those that I've wronged you. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was a lost Jew. And he was lost in his ways and lost in money. And when he realized he was wrong, he said, guess what? For me to get rid of my guilt, I've got to confess my sin, and then I've got to make it right with those people. And he made it right. Here we find a man who sees his guilt. Instead of having a pity party or blaming others, he confesses and makes it right. And there's a freedom of confession, and there's a freedom of forgiving. When Zach saw this, he admitted his faults. Because of that, salvation came knocking at his door. If you want healthy hearts, if you want healed hearts, we have this thing called freedom of confession, freedom of forgiveness. We have the choice. Someone else can't do it for you. I'm sorry to say, and I'm not ripping in any religion, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's no Bible that says that some person you go confess your sins to, and they take care of your sins for you. No, my friend, you've got to confess to God yourself. It's okay to confess to someone else. There's a flip side of all this. And this is my warning. If we are not careful, we can be so blinded by our guilt and anger that we miss the revelation of our redemption. This is for believers and unbelievers. See, Judas, so let's say that again. If we're not careful, we can be so blinded by our guilt and anger that we miss the revelation of our redemption. See, Judas was so focused on self 
and how Jesus offended him that he was willing to sell the truth. Solomon tells us in his poetry, buy the truth and sell it. See, that's what Judas did. Judas sold Jesus, who was the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he went from anger to guilt when he realized his error. And due to his guilt, which says, I owe someone who is not alive anymore, he turned himself to destruction. And he hung himself, killed himself, because he felt guilty. Don't be so blinded by your guilt and anger. Repent and get back to Jesus. It can happen. Folks, it can happen. Come on, if you hear this preacher today, say, God, amen. If you let guilt, if you let anger blind you, it will take you down a path. and you want to confess. If you are struggling to forgive someone or yourself, today is a great day to settle that up in front. Don't be like the Pharisees whose anger controls them so much it caused them to miss the revelation of their redemption. They would stand there and say, I wonder if Jesus is going to heal today. I don't know about you, but I don't stand next to people and say, I wonder if they're going to heal today. Thinking they got so much power on I understand you might have to respect with some doctors, but they were literally thinking he was going to touch somebody that was blind and they weren't seeing. They saw the power of God, but yet their anger was so violent inside of them and anger towards Jesus that it literally blinded them to see the revelation of the redemption standing right there. Don't be like Judas and let your guilt that can be settled at the cross with any person and God lead you to self-destruction. And don't let the Pharisees who controls anger there anger cause you to miss the revelation of your redemption. I have seen families lose out on their salvation because a parent or spouse was so caught up in their world that they pushed their families over the edge or these families never were given the opportunity for redemption because of the saved parent or spouse's selfish condition of not admitting their fault or forgiving others or both. Don't be like the thief whose anger was so hot that he felt Jesus owed him and needed to use his power to let him down. I want to be like the other thief who realized that Jesus was, has done enough for me. And today my heart can be healthy because I'm going to confess my wrongs and forgive those who have wronged me, even if they didn't truly wrong. And also we must not forget confession and forgiveness towards ourselves. Sometimes our greatest obstacle is ourselves. It's ourselves. We must learn to not be our greatest critic. We must learn to live the pace of grace. You are not a terrible person, and you are not unloved. If no one else loved you, it wouldn't be the end because Jesus does, and he really, really, really loves you. If he was enough to create you, don't you think he's enough to sustain you? Some of us need to be reminded today, I'm not perfect. going to make mistakes, but you're human. Jesus loves you still and will help you no matter where you're at. And one way to do that is to confess when we make mistakes towards others and ourselves and also forgive those who have wronged us, including ourselves. I'm coming in for a landing. story I've 
folder years and years ago. The Lord kind of laid it on my heart to tell you this. There was a wealthy man and his son. They loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso, Picasso, to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous, but he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hand. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I'm a soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, as a matter of a fact. And he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart. And he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for others. The young man held out his package. I know this isn't much, because I'm not really a great artist. I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package, and it was a portrait of his son, painted by this young man. It was a portrait of his son. And so he stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. He said, oh, no, sir can never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I'm telling you what you're feeling is not just emotion. But it's God in heaven at work. And the father hung the portrait over his mantle. And every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works that he had collected. The man died a few months later, and there was to be a great auctioning of his painting. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one of their, one for their collection. And on the platform sat the painting of the son. So the auctioneer came and pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the son. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone please bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? A hundred. Two hundred. Another voice angrily cried out, he didn't, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bid. Still the auctioneer continued, Son, the son, who will take the son? And finally, the voice from the very back of the room, it was the longtime gardener of the man and his son, and he said, I'll give $10 for that painting. Being a very poor man, he didn't have much else. We have 10, do we have for 20? Give it to him for 10. Let's see the master. Come on. $10 is the 
bid. Would somebody please bid 20? The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collection. The auctioneer pounded the gavel, going once, going twice, sold for $10. The man sitting on the second row shouted, now let's just get on with this collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the painting? Someone cried out, I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told the secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought the painting of the sun would inherit the entire estate, including all the paintings. And the man who took the sun, he Someone this morning needs to be reminded that you are God's masterpiece. You are his canvas. And you're his clay. And right now, the part of you that is he needs working on is trying to work on your heart. He's trying to work on my heart. We've got to ask ourselves, what's in there? What diseases have we allowed inside? What guilt are we holding on to? What anger? What's in our past that we need to let go? What's in our present, present that we need to make right today? God is right here, right now in this very room. I'd ask everyone to just close your eyes. God wants to make our hearts healthy today. He wants to heal them. He wants to repaint them. He wants to remake them. Will you give God an opportunity today? Let him heal that heart. Let him make it healthy. Oh, let's take some time this morning to repent. Let's take some time. If you want, you can come around this altar and ask God to forgive you. Forgive you of your sins. Take some time to forgive others of what they've done. But why don't we just take time. This altar's open. That place where you're sitting is open.